just like the 500-year-old Mayan Chilambalam had connected 1776 to a 13-step countdown ending in the return of their god, the reverse side of the Great Seal is essentially that same imagery. In Roman numerals 1776, a 13-step uncapped pyramid over which is hovering the eye of Apollo. But the historicity behind Apollo is directly connected to the biblical Apollyon. Apollyon is the god Apollo. What most Americans might not recognize is that on the Great Seal, the symbolism not only points to Osiris, who is the Egyptian version of Apollo, mm -hmm. but the mottos point to Apollo, who is the Greek version of Osiris. So we're talking about one and the same entity. So let me ask you a question. How many tribes were at the base of Mount Sinai when the commandments were given? All 12 tribes. Next question logical to be asked is how many were Jewish? One tribe. One tribe was Jewish, which begs the question, where are the other ones? Because if they were given to all of Israel, all the 12 tribes, then they can't possibly be Jewish or that's just not fair. You're listening to Canary Cry Radio. Now here are your hosts, Basil and Gons. Hey everybody, welcome to Canary Cry Radio once again. Thanks for tuning in this week. Um, as promised, we are here with Rob Skiba to continue the conversation that we started last week. Rob, how are you doing this week? Oh, I'm doing great. We had a lot of fun last time, so I'm looking forward to continuing. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so um, I'm sure everybody's been waiting in eager anticipation for uh, for you know the wrap-up and the <laughs> extent of um, stuff that we're going to be covering as well today. So uh, let's just jump right into it. Well, if you guys haven't uh, heard the last episode, definitely go check it out. And before we jump in, uh, just a little bio on Rob so you guys can know about Rob. Rob is an award-winning filmmaker he's a published author artist army veteran public speaker screenwriter actor and a former missionary and just an awesome dude so um <laughs> and he's written the book uh, babylon rising and the first shall be last a bunch of dvd lectures including uh mythology and the coming great deception uh, the mount hermon slash roswell connection and most recently the archon invasion and the return of the nephilim parts one and two so let's jump in let's do it you know, you go a lot into the symbolism in, you know, our capital in the United States here and, and all the, the things that you find there, the, the symbols of Osiris and a lot, a lot of stuff that um, Tom Horns talked about and um, in Napoleon Rising 2012, and you kind of build on that stuff. Yeah. One of the things that I found um, that I didn't know that I thought was really interesting was uh, the rotunda. And I yeah. knew about the painting of the apotheosis of George Washington and all this stuff, but you brought up the fact that they bring uh when when presidents pass away yeah they bring them in there what they call the lying in state yeah and, that was you know i had read tom horn's stuff on it and uh so being an investigative reporter i uh went to see my family over the thanksgiving holidays and um my sister lives in washington dc uh, actually in virginia but just kind of outside uh, dc so um uh my parents offered to um send my wife and i down to see my sister 
uh, for a few days. And so we're like, yeah. So I like, I got to go to DC, you know, I've, I've got to, cause now that I've taken the red pill, right. uh, <laughs> I, I've got to go there with eyes to see, because I've been there many, many, many times, uh, before, but I didn't, I didn't have the, the glasses on, you know? Right. Uh, so now that I had the glasses on, took the red pill, I'm ready to go. And we only had five hours, which you, you just, you can't do hardly anything in five hours in DC. You need like two weeks to be there. <laughs> so, so I had to be very strategic in where I went. And of course the Capitol building, I needed to go there for myself and look into these things. And so when I'm going on the tour, uh, and they're telling me about the rotunda and everything in it and stuff. And I asked about the painting up top and she, she gave a kind of a lame uh, description of the apotheosis of George Washington. And I said, well, when was the painting finished? Cause that was the one thing I wasn't clear on. Like when, when was this thing put there? Right. And uh, cause I had gone through the little movie. They, they give you a little movie on the building of the Capitol and everything. And, and I knew the roughly the time frame that it had been built. Uh, but I didn't know when the time frame was when the painting was would put in and she said 1865 and so immediately i thought oh whoa isn't that the year abraham lincoln was killed and she says yeah as a matter of fact he was the first president to undergo the lying in state ceremony so i said what's that and she said well that's when they bring the president's body into the rotunda right underneath right right in the center which is directly below the apotheosis <laughs> right and they basically leave the body there for a little while you know and and it, the excuse is so the public can have a you know a viewing and yeah and more in the president but when you think of what these occultists are actually all about you realize this all this is is, is egyptian babylonian mystery school stuff still being practiced today and every president that has ever died since abraham lincoln has undergone the lying in state ceremony under the apotheosis of george washington yeah <laughs> that that blew me away because i remember when i was a kid i was probably like 10 years old when nixon passed away yeah. And, you know, we just gotten cable TV and they had this like 24 hour stream of the rotunda and like, yeah. you know, the casket's in there and I'm watching, I'm going, this is really boring. You know, you just, yeah. it's just like a live feed of that with people walking through and I'm like, wow, this is really boring. But now that I know it's like, wow, you know, they yeah. were, they were, uh, right. there was, there was a reason behind it, an esoteric occult reason behind it. Yeah. yeah. And, and just so, uh, our listeners are familiar why don't you give just a a short description of what the apotheosis of uh, george washington is sure. and sort of what it means yeah it, it's really bizarre you got people like uh, uh david barton who's out there talking about the christian heritage of our country you know this is a christian founded nation and our founding fathers were great and blah 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 and movies like monumental with kurt cameron oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, you know yeah, uh, they're, they're showing all this stuff and hyping up the idea that our founding fathers were Christians and stuff. And it's like, um, no, they weren't. I mean, they, they had a nice facade uh, of Christianity, but you see very quickly as you really look into these guys and, and don't just take the selected quotes that they pull out. You know, I think right. Chris, Chris Pinto did a phenomenal job uh, in his documentary, the hidden faith of our founding fathers yeah. of show, of showing the other quotes that Barton and others conveniently leave out. <laughs> that, that Which are these. just bizarre to hear. Oh yeah. And it's sick. You realize these guys are actually deists that were heavily entrenched in the occult. Right. And, and so when you realize, you know, who these guys really were and, and what they were about, all of a sudden the layout of Washington DC starts making a whole lot more sense. All the, paganistic uh statues and structures in washington dc start making sense and then you think about the apotheosis of george washington it starts making sense you've got this painting that's in the center of the uh, the dome capital dome so when you're in the rotunda and you, you on the ground floor you see all the pretty paintings that 
Barton and Kirk Cameron and people like that will point to, and they, they look like nice Christian heritage type pictures. Yeah, they're pretty. But the further up you go, the more sinister and occult it gets. <laughs> uh, it, you, you see the freeze of American history, which in and of itself seems, you know, pretty mundane. It's it's cool. It's nice. It shows various scenes of American history. You got Columbus. It goes all the way around to the Wright brothers' first flight. But, but shortly after Columbus, you see Cortez and Montezuma and the Aztec calendar stone. You know, you see like, <laughs> you're kind of like, what? You know, you got the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, you know, you get all these, you know, iconic pictures of American history, but then you got that. And that, that that's the actual, uh, the, the long calendar count of um, the Mayans two, used yeah, yeah. for 2012, yeah. For 2012. So automatically you have to be like, what? What's that doing there, you know? <laughs> Uh, it's just so bizarre, but it's just kind of tucked in there, you know. It's kind of just squashed between some other uh, paintings, you know. Uh, so you see that, and then you keep looking looking up until you see a ring of seventy two pentagrams <laughs> that, <Yeah. laughs> that are binding utilities in the occult, you know. So you got these seventy two binding utility pentagrams surrounding this painting of George Washington seated in heaven as a god. And now that's what apotheosis essentially means, ascending into godhood, the deification of man. And and but if this is supposedly a Judeo Christian founded country and this is a scene in heaven, well you think you might see Yeshua there, you know, maybe yeah. uh Abraham, maybe Moses, uh, Gabriel, Michael, something? No. <laughs> You don't see any of that. You you see Vulcan, you see Minerva, you you see Mercury, the messenger of the gods, and seated at his feet are the founding fathers taking notes. Uh, (laughs) You know, I mean, it's total Greek pantheon uh, of pagan gods, and there's George seated right there. He's got two women, one on either side of him, and He's then surrounding this smile and everything. Yeah, in this little scroll or whatever in his hand and or a book or whatever he's got there and uh and then he's got a woman on either side of him and then surrounding them in the circle going all the way up to the to the top part of the uh, of the dome is uh thirteen maidens that each have a star above their head and the two that are directly opposite uh George are holding a banner that says E pluribus unum. Right. <laughs> And now I learned as I started studying uh, symbols is the, uh, the iconography contained within a symbol has to harmonize with itself. Right. Because yeah, it's all, it's revealing something. And so in the context of what this picture is saying, uh, e pluribus unum takes on an entirely different meaning as do the 13 stars above each of the, those, the heads of those women, because 13 is, is Osiris. And, you know, he was chopped into 14 pieces, but only uh, they found all but one, which uh, Isis formed into the obelisk, you know, right. the missing piece. So the, the 13 remaining pieces is Osiris. And so, so all of a sudden, all of the, you know, 13 colonies, 13 stars, 13 stripes, everything starts falling into place, what this stuff really represents. And it's, 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 it's really just laid right out for you in, the, in that phrase, e pluribus unum. We were taught, you know, many states, one nation, many right. ethnicities, melting pot, all that. The garbage. But if you take the iconography in the symbol as a whole, it's telling you many gods representing one person, or one person represented as many gods. Right. Well, that, that being Nimrod. The, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just so obvious, it's ridiculous. But um, this is a really, I mean, for Americans, it's a really touchy subject. I know brilliant people that would never... You know, they almost want to turn a blind eye to some of this stuff because sure. they almost want to put, you know, their their national 
heritage above scripture. You know, that's kind of the problem there. But um, yeah. I want your opinion on the uh, Constitution because, um, mm. you know, I was listening to the, the Christian radio when I was driving in today, and there's this guy talking about the Constitution, and he's like in tears on the radio, and he's talking about, you know, how it's so godly and all this stuff. What's your opinion on the Constitution and how, because it seems to reflect um, some biblical principles. Yeah. And, um, it's no secret that some of the you know our founding fathers used the you know because they were uh, champions of reason uh, yeah. they used parts of the Bible that were reasonable right but you hey. know Yeshua walking on water is not reasonable so they kicked that out yeah. so so stuff like that so what's your opinion on the Constitution as a whole yeah I think it's very similar to what Jefferson did with the Jefferson Bible right. you know he he loved the, the like you said the the teachings and things of Jesus but let, let's take out all of the supernatural stuff right you know so. So the president's Bible, the the Jefferson Bible, uh, is so edited that it you know, it, it's definitely not the Yeshua that you and I believe in. Right. Uh, um, so, but but I do believe that, like you said, they're men of reason, and the, clearly the biblical principles are sound. And so, if you're going to build a viable country, what better way to do it than to build it on on good, solid, viable principles that are proven to work. Right. But I, I believe that they did that with the intent right from the beginning in the whole New Atlantis uh, idea of, of doing so with, with the intent of self-destruction. Mm. That, that it, w- it, was, it, it had to be built to a superpower. And the way you could do that would be to follow biblical principles because it works. Right. You know, yeah. but with an end goal in mind, because they clearly they saw the end from the beginning. They knew what they're doing right from the start. You know, when you look at what Francis Bacon was writing about the New Atlantis, and Chris Pinto's done again a, a phenomenal job of, of tracking all that down and, and putting it into a documentary. Uh, right. the, the New Atlantis and Riddles and Stone and Eye of the Phoenix, all great, great films. Yeah, that illustrate this, and and we're on unfortunately on the tail end of it now, where the self destruction side of it is about to to manifest. But what, and this is something I, I, I this is just a theory um, uh, that I'm working on that. Um, God basically impressed upon me to look into the reason the four presidents are uh, are depicted on Mount Rushmore. Hmm. Why those guys? Why is it? Why is it? I think it's George Washington, Jefferson, F., uh, Franklin, Donor, Roosevelt, and Lincoln. Right. Why those guys? You know. Um, and and it's been like this thing in my like a thorn in my head, you know. It's like oh, I, I got to get this thing out because it's really driving me crazy. Um, and have you ever heard of de facto government versus de jure government? Uh, the only time I heard about it was when you mentioned it. And I actually looked into it a little bit. It's very interesting. Yeah. I, again, I'm not articulate enough to talk yeah, uh, a whole lot on it, but I, I, it is heavy, and I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. But my when I found when I discovered that. Uh, and I, I would encourage your listeners to just start Googling de facto government versus de jure government. And I think it's D-E-J-U-R-E or something like that. Uh, Google will correct it for you. Um, but essentially, there was the constitutional government that was set up in 1776 w- with the constitution that we were just talking about, the biblical principles and all of that. But then you had, and that, of course, is, you know, you got George and Jefferson uh, depicted there uh, as the, the key players in that. Then you have uh, the Civil War, which effectively d- divided our country and put, put it into a, um, a state of martial law. The country went under martial law in right. 
during the Civil War under Lincoln. And so basically what happened, and this is just, uh, I'm talking allegorical here, uh, it, like, like a metaphor. If you can imagine, everybody in Congress basically got up and went to the building next door, you know, and, and left the seats of the House of Representatives and the Senate empty from the original government and set up a new government uh, that was the uh, um, de facto government. Right. Uh, and, and, and basically what they did was they created a 10 square mile corporation called Washington, D.C. It, it is only a 10 square mile corporation. And everybody in America essentially elects to be an employee of that corporation and subject to its laws, which are not constitutional, many of them. One of them being that an attorney, there was an article in the original constitution that said that an attorney could not hold public office. Mm. Well, how many (laughs) presidents in recent time, memory, including our current one, uh, comes from an attorney background, you know? That automatically messes up the, the different branches, you know. You're supposed to separate the ju- judicial branch from the executive branch, but if you've got a guy in there who's an attorney, you know, uh, el- electing people to be or, or choosing, you know, uh, Supreme Court justices and whatnot, it, the whole thing gets messed up. Right. And so uh, and he was act- obviously involved with that, Abraham Lincoln, uh, creating that. Uh, or setting the stage for that anyway. And then you got FDR and all you got to do to figure out what he's about is flip over the back of your dollar bill. Right. <laughs> you know, he, he put that in motion, which I believe is the final stage in the new Atlantis, uh, program. Hmm. So it appears to me, and again, this is just a theory. I'm just speculating here, but it appears to me that that's the reason those four guys are depicted because each one of those men on the Mount Rushmore carried out a different phase of the new Atlantis program. Right. Right. Yeah. That's a pretty good theory. And, and just a little uh, explanation here that I found online, uh, de facto is a government supported by the people of the state and not by a constitution. De jure, on the other hand, is a government supported by a present constitution. Right. So, so you were mentioning something about if you get pulled over, uh, yeah, yeah go for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, again, I, I'm, I'm just going to try to relay as best I can what I remember reading. I'm not really articulate in all of this, but um, as I understand it, there's what's called a free man in the land, mm-hmm. where where you can basically say, you know what, I quit, I'm out of the corporation, because all of your papers are in capital letters. You know, your, right. birth, your birth certificate, anything that has your name in capital letters, it is your employee status numbers, etc related to the corporation, which means you have voluntarily elected to be uh, held in, in subjugation to all of the laws of the corporation. Right. So you, you got to have a license, you got to have the IRS, taxes, all of it, everything. Everything that we do uh, revolves around the rules of the corporation. You can divorce yourself from that legally and go back to the de jure government that was originally founded with the original constitution and truly be what the constitution and the bill of rights say you should be uh, essentially a free man in the land. And there are a lot of attorneys that are, uh, in this movement that have drawn up because uh, everything has to be done legally. You, you talked about what Pappy said. There's, there's a legal mandate. Everything right. has to be done legally and it is legally just most people don't understand it, including myself. I'm just doing the best <laughs> to, to say what I think I know. Right. <laughs> and I'm telling people, look, don't take what I say is gospel. Go look it up. Yeah. But, but, um, it, it, you could, you could go on YouTube and wherever you live in the country, punch up du jour government, uh, California. Is your government Texas wherever you wherever you live, 
And you'll see that there are chapter meetings taking place all over the, the United States where they are uh, legally becoming free men in the land. So what does, what does that mean? It does, that means you don't, it, it's problematic in a sense that everybody else is, is in the matrix. Right. You know, you just think when Morpheus is taking Neo through the, you know, the little tour and the lady in the red dress walks by, you know, uh, everybody else is still stuck in the matrix. Right. You know? So there's issues you got to deal with there. But for instance, they're saying you don't need a license. You don't need, you know, you're not subject to the rules, uh, of, of the corporation. So if you get pulled over, you show your free man in the land papers. And even though they may take you to jail when the judge, if he's in fact stays to the law, looks at it, he, he realizes that we have no jurisdiction over you and, uh, you have to be released. So, yeah. Uh, there are a bunch of people on YouTube you can look up that have done this and they're giving testimonies and stuff. And, uh, again, I just tell people, look it up, check it out for yourself. But it, it appears to me that that's what's going on. And, and that the, you, to your original question about the constitution, uh, that's the way we were all supposed to be. Right. Free men created equally, you know, with certain rights that are not supposed to be taken away. Uh, and that, that explains why with this, de, uh, de facto government, they, they, it's so easy for them to shred the constitution, right? Because they, they, that corporation doesn't have the 1776 constitution. They have a different one that was drawn up under martial law during the civil war. Right. Which makes makes all the stuff going on now. It makes sense. Makes sense. Right. Yeah. It, Cause the rest of us are scratching our heads going, how in the world is this happening? Right. You know how how we we all grew up learning about the Constitution and all. How in the world, it, it, you know, it, this is when I finally realized. You know, the, after I started doing the research for actually the mythology and the coming great deception DVD, uh, when I discovered that all the presidents are related to each other, going back to one guy, King John Lackland of Lackland of the House of Plantagenet, signer of the Magna Carta. Uh, it's like okay. <laughs> if we truly have presidents of the people for the people by the people, what are the statistical odds that all of them would be related to the same guy? <laughs> right. You know, and you got Obama who's related to both George Bush and Dick Cheney. And you got Mitt Romney who's related CNN reported him being related to six other presidents. Right. So, uh, they're telling us in plain sight. Yeah. The whole thing's a scam, but, but go ahead and, Punch your chad and make yourself feel like you're still part of the system. <laughs> right. <laughs> that actually that you actually have a voice. You know. You're right. Just to go back for one second, I you know when you were talking about um, the de facto government, does your government and everything like that, it reminded me exactly about um, when you were talking about the capital letters of your name and uh, what they're called as capitus diminutio uh, maxima, media, yes. and minima. Yes. And what it is is, uh, yeah, exactly like you said. If your if your name is on a document in uh, all capital letters, it basically means that you've completely lost liberty. You're you're not considered um, to have any liberty, any real citizenship or family. You're just sort of this thing. Um, and media being when the just the first letter of your name is a. Uh, capitalized on some sort of thing and it's uh you know a, a lesser extent of that and then to um you know capitus diminutio minima is basically um you know the the least scary of the three 
but it reminded me of that. Yeah, and I have to correct something. I said I said it was FDR. It's not FDR. It's uh, it's Theodore Roosevelt. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I, I, so I, I need to correct that. Um, so, and I actually need to go back and do some more research then because I was so stuck on FDR with because of the back of the dollar bill that I'll have to go figure out what the connection is now with Theodore. <laughs> oh, that's good. So, like I said, it's a working theory. I'm still trying to work my way through it myself, but there's obviously a reason that those four guys are carved into that mountain range. Yeah, right. totally. Um, right. It's fascinating. Well, it, it really is. Yeah, all of this is just, there's so much, there's so much to learn still. There's so much to, to know. Um, there's one thing that I wanted to, I wanted you to harp on too, and I, I apologize for going kind of long, but it's just so fascinating. Oh, I can't, I can't oh, help hey, myself. I'm, I'm good to go, man. <laughs> Whatever. Oh, um, I figured out something just, just off the top of my head. Cause, uh, Theodore Roosevelt, uh, I believe was the beginning of the, uh, industrial revolution. That's true. Right. Yeah. Uh, and if you look at what the industrial revolution has done to <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> life on this planet, uh, <laughs> uh, anyways, just thinking, thinking off the top of my head. Yeah, no, that's actually but, huge though. Now that you mention it. Yeah. That's, that's probably even bigger than the back of your dollar bill. Yeah, I mean. yeah no, that's, um, that's a, yeah, that's a huge thing considering, I mean, it's basically, it, it is the planet now is as a result of the industrial industrial revolution and not for the better. Um, no, not at that. all. Yeah. yeah. So that, I mean, that's, that's basically what's given, um, capitalism and the, uh, you know, the elite sort of, um, it's empowered them to, you know, it's infinite like the, ends. It's the structure that helped them. Right. Bring about exactly. It's yeah. It's the, uh, yeah. Yeah. Now, and on another side of that, um, and again, this is speculation based on Enoch chapter ten, verse twelve, that says that the watchers, the parents of the first generation in Ephraim, were to be bound and buried under the sands of the earth for seventy generations. Right. And Psalm ninety, verse ten, defines a generation as seventy years. And if my calculations are correct, and I base my calculations on the genealogies given in Scripture. And the works of people like Dr. Ken Johnson and Bishop Usher and a number of other people who have created timelines. I believe the days of Jared was roughly 3550 BC, when sometime around that time was when the watchers came down. And so, give or take, let's say a margin of error of 50 years, that would place the end of the first generation Nephilim in Enoch 1010 at 3000 BC. And if you go forward 70 generations times 70 years, it's 4,900 years from 3000 BC puts you at the beginning of the 1900s. Just so happens went to be when this guy was president. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, again, I'm just, go. you know, once that gerbil starts running, you know, I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just going a million directions right now. But. No, it's cool. I, and I think, uh, you know, you talk about, uh, and I think in your Archon uh, videos that you, that, some of the stuff Jack Parsons and yeah. uh, Crowley and how they opened up portals and, and right. all that stuff. And I know there's, um, well, why don't you, th- do, you, do you have a moment to like? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, um, go for it. Uh, in my Archon Invasion series, when I, in, in uh, the second disc, uh, part two, is what I'm talking about now and in the future. And so I, there's probably plenty of things you could point to prior to the 20th century, but I kind of just zeroed in on a few highlights of the 20th century uh, based on the theory I just mentioned about uh, the 70 generations may have come to an end at the beginning of the 1900s. And how that may have come to an end, interestingly enough, uh, how could these guys have possibly been released uh, from their prisons? And if you look at what 
Crowley was doing <laughs> with his Amelantra working, uh, and people can Google on this and really get more details on it, but essentially, essentially in March of 1918, Crowley began a series of magical experiments. He called them the Amelantra workings. And it, it said that he had opened up a portal to another dimension, allowing it, an entity named Lamb to enter through it. And what, what's really bizarre when you consider this is 1918 now we're talking about, 1918, he draws a picture of this entity called Lamb, and it looks remarkably similar to what we would call an alien gray today. Mm-hmm. You know, so here, and that didn't really start coming into the public consciousness really until the 1940s. Uh, right. But coincidentally, right, uh, you got Jack Parsons, who was uh, basically a disciple of Crowley. Uh, he, in March of 1946, sort of picks up where where Crowley left off and he partners up with a Scientology guy there, uh, L. Ron Hubbard in March 1946 at a location that later became known as Area 51 uh, he starts this thing called the Babylon working uh, which just like the Amalantra working involves ceremonial sex magic and all kinds of cult practices and whatnot and his goal was essentially to, to, to bring the horror of Babylon into existence to, to, to bring that spirit into the world. And they actually consider that to be a good thing. And this is something else I didn't include in the presentation, uh, but I did research on it. Uh, you should do some research on the, um, the golem fetus, the golem fetus. Yeah. Or golem, uh, you know, like, like, like Lord Lord of the Rings. Rings. yeah, yeah go- the golem is like a, a, a humunculus, you know, like a, a, a lifeless thing, you know, right. that, that is animated. Right. Uh, I, I, I was hesitant to put this in the presentation because some of the research that I did on it, I couldn't really vet and, and use it as anything that I, I would consider authoritative. Um, but when they were doing the early experiments with uh, the bomb, the nuclear bomb, there's a uh, thing they call, I'm trying to think of what it was called now. Uh, oh, shoot, I can't remember the name of it, but they had a, a word for it. But basically, it was a big metal i think it was called jumbo i think they call it jumbo uh this big steel enforced concrete canister of some sort that didn't appear to serve any real purpose but this thing was carted into place when they were testing the explosion of the nuclear bomb supposedly uh parsons put the he he got i guess his wife or girlfriend or somebody pregnant during this babylon working thing and uh, and and put the fetus who was dead. That's why they call it like a golem. Uh, into I think it was called Jumbo. And when the nuclear bomb blew off, supposedly this thing came to life, and there's all kinds of weird stuff surrounding. So I'll just say, go wow. go do a Google on the the golem fetus and wow. Jack Par- and Jack Jack Parsons. It gets crazy stuff. That's dude. bizarre. I've never heard of that before. Is it, and yeah, it's blowing my mind. The homunculus. It, it, yeah, homunculus or, or golem fetus, uh, and and um, I, I think it's jumbo. I'm gonna see if I can look it up while we're talking. Um, and, and some of the dates seemed off, though. That's why I I, I couldn't really nail it down as anything that well, I was trying to. I find it interesting just right off the bat because um, you know golem is referring to uh, sort of a Jewish Kabbalic magic um, being, um, and. I find it interesting because of the there's been a, a, a recent sort of rebirth of Kabbalah and yeah. the sort of um, 
you know that sort of magic and it's interesting to hear that that's you know happened so recently in history yeah it, it was it, and the thing was like a, a metal egg right and so that that har- that harkens back to the lore of like semiramis you know popping out of the right uh, river and the egg and all this stuff but um yeah there's some interesting articles on uh ancient kabbalistic magic and the tree of life uh is, is a video on youtube and um uh you'll see stuff on it on above top secret so if you just do golem fetus and parsons and, and just do some poking around on it uh, it's weird stuff uh, no doubt but the stuff that i was able to vet and and consider to be truth was the fact that he and, and l ron hubbard were out in the place that we now call area 51 doing this babylon working thing and that's you know that's march of 46 right and then a year later we got roswell right uh and a whole lot of stuff is happening there because in 1945 the the year prior and this is where it kind of gets messed up because you got the the testing of the bomb and and the releasing of the bomb and everything and before 46 so it didn't quite line up with the babylon working being in 46 but from 1945 to 1998 2053 nuclear bombs were blown up on this planet wow by different countries uh and and like 1032 or 35 something like that more than half i think of um of the bombs were blown up in that area in the united states by the united states you know for nuclear testing usa yeah so (laughs) it, it, it makes you wonder because if these guys did in fact open up a portal and and release these entities could there be another reason why all those so-called tests were being done out there could it in fact be a war trying to keep these things at bay right. you know there are a lot of people out there like uh phil schneider if you, you look you look into phil schneider's story about um uh dulce new mexico and the underground base and yeah ever, yeah, yeah I've, so, I've read some stuff on that yeah yeah so here you got you know what appears to be a battle with nephilim taking place that this guy was supposedly a part of wait what is that called now who is that i'm sorry to interrupt but yeah uh, do it you're gonna have fun after this show because you guys gonna be out (laughs) you guys gonna be watching youtube videos until (laughs) well into tomorrow morning (laughs) (laughs) yeah um uh phil schneider yeah yeah look up phil Phil schneider and dulce d-u-l-c-e new mexico or or dulce dulce base uh, dull space and you'll see his recorded testimony of what apparently was a war that took place with the military against the nephilim i guess i mean <laughs> i don't know what else to call it yeah right he, um, he called i think he when he reported it, he was talking about like the grays and yeah grays and reptilian and stuff, stuff. Yeah. yeah that's what i'm seeing here uh and with regard to uh reptilians um th- that was something i used to just kind of scoff at uh, you know you got david ike and other people out there Talking, talk, talking about the reptilians and stuff. Right. And I didn't pay much attention to it. I kind of wrote all that stuff off. But um, recently, my wife and I were talking and, and looking at like, another reason why they may have created the animal-human hybrids to begin with is we know that God created us in his own image. Right. right. But if you look at biblical descriptions of angels, you got a number of different types. You got seraphim and cherubim and archangels and watchers, you know, guardian angels. There's all these different types of angels that we we think about uh but in ezekiel when you see the the angels that are coming down with the wheel within the wheel deal they're described in a very interesting way uh as having a humanoid shape 
right. they look like a human, but they have calf's feet. So they're automatically, you start thinking of a satyr. Right. And, and it's got wings with hands on the wings, and it's got a head with, with, with four faces, an ox, an eagle, a lion, and a man. Right. And so the first thing that pops in my head is, that's an animal-human hybrid. Yeah. Uh, but this is one apparently created by God, you know, that, that is meant to be right. uh, in the angelic world. Right. So maybe they're uh, trying to mimic it. Right. Maybe, they're try- maybe they were trying to create life in their image. Right. Uh, and, but curiously, if you think about the angels being in charge of like kingdoms, mm-hmm. uh, like, like the animal kingdom, the bird kingdom, uh, man, they clearly have a function, we know at least in the role of man, uh, as guardians and helpers and messengers and things of that nature. Right. So could it be that the, that the, the variety of angels that we see in Ezekiel 1 uh, is in charge of the, the beast kingdom, the bird kingdom, you know, when you, when you look at the lion and the ox and the eagle and all that. What's curiously missing there is the anointed cherub who... Right. If you think of kingdoms that are not represented by that picture, what's missing? The reptiles. Insects, reptiles, and fish. So you you got insectoids, reptilians, and Dagon fish gods and stuff. All of a sudden, all this stuff starts making sense that, wow, okay, maybe Ike is onto something here. Um, You know, I'm not prepared to endorse his his stuff, but I will say of the things that I have read— the problem with Ike's material is he didn't have a biblical foundation to approach it. Yeah, not at all. <laughs> and, and, and so his conclusions go way off. Yeah. But if you approach the same material from a biblical worldview with a solid foundation, you can see a, a, a really a biblical answer to what I think this guy's the discovering, you know, right. and, and, and there may be some truth to it. Um, <laughs> uh, I, you know, like I said, I'm not prepared to endorse his stuff, but, I, I'm now looking into it with new eyes and, and and taking a fresh approach to it with the idea that maybe Lucifer, who is the serpent, the dragon, clearly reptilian right. in nature, that there could be some truth to that. Well, Chris White's done um, a David Icke debunked that really goes into some of the uh, the problems with his you know connection with Alice Bailey's material and, sure. and uh, you know that whole thing you know the new age and the connection there. Uh, but just ironically, I, I, there was um, uh, a news report that I randomly found on YouTube one time that uh, there, it was like a really short thing. But this I news guy, this, yeah, news. <laughs> this news guy came out and he says, you know, aliens might be highly advanced dinosaurs or something. <laughs> this, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they had this, you know, ridiculous picture of like this, you know, reptilian guy. And I'm going, wow, let's be subtle. You know, just <laughs> yeah. evening news, you know, a little reptilian on TV talking about, you know, so it's just, it's, I think there's something there. Maybe there's, maybe it's difficult to, uh, uh, you know, appraise the mass culture or mass media with a reptilian being, you know, it's probably a little bit harder to swallow for people. So they're kind of right, keeping yeah. it on the down low a little bit until, you know, stuff gets a little bit crazier. But I thought it was interesting that they just threw that in there in the evening news. Yeah. So, oh, by oh, oh, by the way, and another news. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I want to know more about the reptilian uh, dinosaur aliens or whatever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just ridiculous. But um, just moving on here. Uh, I was uh, w- which is kind of cool. I was able to show my wife tonight. Um, the the whole thing with Stellarium, and um, can yeah. you can you talk briefly about what your theories are and, and 
when Jesus was actually born, because I think, yeah. I think it's one of those things that, uh, uh, you know, I was talking to my daughter who who goes to a, a Christian school and, and her teacher last year was talking about, oh, you know, we know that uh, Jesus wasn't born on December 25th, you know, so so they're teaching her some stuff. But then they ask the kids ask, you know, she's in fifth grade. Well, when was he born? And she says, well, you know, we don't really know. So yeah. I, I think um, and, you know, my wife was reading the the book by uh, uh, Michael uh, Rood. And yeah. she was saying, you know, you can look at all this stuff. And, and I'm like, yeah, I can show you right now at the Stellarium. And it was really cool. You know, it was a cool moment for us. But yeah, um, yeah talk about that a little bit, because I think you're definitely onto something there, too. Yeah, I, I know that um, uh, there are other scholars. Mark uh, Biltz, I think is his name, uh, is a kind of a rabbi type of guy. Uh, he believes it's Jesus was born during the Feast of um, uh, Tabernacles. And he's got an interesting argument, but the problem I have with that is it appears to me that Revelation 12 is telling you exactly yeah. all, all the details of, of Yeshua's birth right. is in Revelation 12. And if you look there, it says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. And right. it goes on to talk about the child being born and the serpent coming up to, to, to get him, the dragon. Um, and Mike Kaiser, Dr. Mike Kaiser, uh, had come to the same conclusion and I, I didn't find his material until after I had come to the conclusion myself uh, about a different date that's very peculiar especially for Americans yeah and and when I found out about the software uh, Stellarium and people could go to Stellarium at S-T-E-L-L-A-R-I-U-M dot org I think I spelled it right Stellarium dot org they can download this free software and it allows you to track the movement of the planets, the stars, sun and moon, and everything, constellations, at any time in history uh, or forward, if you want to. And so looking at this description in Revelation 12, it's telling you about a stellar event. In Genesis, God said he put the stars in the sky to be for signs and for seasons and to tell us things. Right. And and there's some great books that was uh, written, uh, in, in one of them in the 1800s, The Gospel and the Stars, and it really goes into a lot of detail about the true meaning of the constellations, not the zodiacal uh, occult meanings. And so here you got Virgo, the virgin, and Revelation 12 says that she's clothed with the sun and the moon's at her feet. She's got 12 stars at her head. And I had heard something that led me to do the research that I did with Stellarium. And if you back the software off to negative two, that's because there's no year zero. Right. That's that's the way the software reckons 3 BC. You'll find that that alignment happens on one specific day <laughs> in, in human history, and that is September 11th, 3 BC. No. And September 11th, 3 BC. And so all of a sudden you start realizing, oh, you know, I've been studying the Torah now. This is my second year going through it with kind of like with a fine tooth comb. You know, and you see, okay, uh, God did everything on his feast days. And these are the feasts of God, not the feasts of the Jews. The scriptures right. are plain about it. This is the feast of, of Yahweh, of Jehovah. Um, and so when you see that the, the law was given, the Torah was given uh, on Mount Sinai, uh, on Pentecost, right? And, and you look and you see, okay, everything he did was was on feast day you got passover you got unleavened bread you, you, you got uh first fruits you got pentecost and and then you had this rebellion that took place in the wilderness right uh, of sinai and the ground opened up and swallowed three thousand people right? right right 
And then, so you got 3,000 people uh, basically condemned for disobedience and what, all that they did. And then flash forward to Pentecost in the New Testament, and 3,000 people were added to the church. Right. Right? Huh. And then And then you have 9-11. What was the official number of the dead? 3,000 people. Right. We're, we're, oh, my gosh. Were sacrificed, I believe, and and right. and an occult ritual that was totally an inside job by the occultist Illuminati. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could use some choice words, but I won't, because uh, <laughs> it really tick, it really ticks me off, quite frankly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, on Yeshua's birthday, September 11th, and so can you imagine people? And, and when you look into December 25th, I mean, past this is what really annoys me because pastors will openly admit to knowing that that is not Jesus's birthday. Right. They know it. And yet, every church is putting up signs. This is, you know, he's the reason for the season, and his happy birthday, Jesus, and they're celebrating his birthday on Nimrod's birthday. Yeah, you know, if you track the history of it, you that's that's Mithra's birthday, Zeus's birthday, Osiris. You know, you look through the history of that, and I mean, even the secular people out there, like the guy who did Zeitgeist. Yeah, he he knows Peter the Joseph. truth. Th- that truth that. That December twenty fifth has more to do with the the, the solstice and the dying and resurrecting sun gods. Right, has nothing to do with Yeshua of Christianity. Uh, so, but can you imagine walking around singing "It's the most wonderful time of the year" on <laughs> on September eleventh? Right, I you think know? yeah, that totally makes sense in as far as like from the occult perspective of doing something like that on that day. And yeah. so, if you know, if people become more knowledgeable about some of the things you're talking about. And, and I think a lot of people are starting to wake up to some of these things. I mean, that's a difficult thing to do. You know, uh, the, the day that that happened, I mean, it's in everyone's minds. It's still very fresh. It's only, you know, it's only been a decade. It's, it's, I mean, I yeah. remember it like it's yesterday, you know? And, oh, yeah. uh, and, and so uh, I, I can see because their war is against the God of heaven, the against yeah. Yeshua, that would be something that they would deliberately do and something they would know about too. Uh, they know these things. You know, they do know these things. That's what's, what's so dis- disappointing <laughs> is, is that the occultist knows the Bible uh, well, just like the devil. Right. The, the, the devil, that's where it's coming from. He knows the Bible better than any Christian. Yeah. And so it just makes sense that the, the occultist will, will actually use a twisting, twisted version of it as their playbook. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh man! Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's wow. definitely. Um, I, I know for for us um, in my family, I think this is this year is actually going to be the first time we're not going to do Christmas. Yeah, and we've done it as kind of a. Tr- and I've known about some of these things, but it's really, uh, you know, I'm learning a lot more, and and it's getting to that point where it's like, yeah, I re- I just can't. There's just, I, I, there's yeah. no turning back. Like I can't, I, I can't yeah. just buy into it. You know, and it's gonna. I can just. I feel it now already. Working at a church, just that whole season is going to be yeah. pretty oh, rough. It, it's ugly because the church will fight you. I the the most flack and trouble that I got uh, was coming from pastors and missionaries and and people in the church when I started posting things about the truth of Christmas around December twenty fifth yeah. <laughs> uh, on Facebook. You know, I mean, it just caused an uproar because people are like, you know, don't mess with our traditions, kind of thing. Right, and it's just oh my gosh, it's just amazing how it's used. Uh, you know, again in the in the system that we live in it's probably you know the most puts the most fuel on the fire when we're talking about um you know like we were talking about the industrial revolution the the resources from where the elites you know are able to rule from this um 
you know economy in this uh uh system that we live in i mean they just use it to uh you know refill the coffers Oh, and it's horrible. It actually, my my journey into studying Torah and then learning about the feasts of God, the true holidays. I, I now call Christmas and Easter beast feasts because <laughs> because they, they are totally related to the Antichrist. They have nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, so now that I'm going on the path of of, of Yehovah and following His feasts, uh, it's a radical change. But it, I got started on that journey on on uh, Black Friday, actually. You know the day after thanksgiving everybody gives thanks for everything that they have right and the next day everybody goes psycho killing each other over tickle me elmo right. you know in the store the next day you yeah. know uh and it's so that's a, an ugly day anyway uh and and i was feeling pretty sick just because I, I i hate black friday but there was something more to that in, in my spirit something there was, there was just a, a heaviness that sat on top of me and I had to pull over and I didn't know this at the time, but the same thing was happening to my wife on the other end of town. Mm. And so I, I looked at my phone just to find somebody, a, a brother in Christ that I could contact and just pray with him because it was so heavy on me, you know, and I didn't know what it was. And so I called my friend, my friend Kevin and, uh, he, he prays with me and stuff. He said, Hey, listen, you know, tomorrow my wife and I are going to a tourist study at the Christian bookstore. You want to come? And I'm thinking, tourist study at the Christian bookstore? What are you, what are you talking about? You know, uh, on, a, on a Shabbat, on, on Saturday. And so uh, I thought, yeah, oh, sure, why not? So we went, and they were studying the portion of the Torah where Joseph is sold into slavery. Right. And the question was asked, how many parallels can you see in the life of Joseph and the life of Yeshua? And I never, ever considered that. You know, I never made that connection. So I just off the top of my head, just looking at parallels between these two individuals, I came up with 25 parallels in the life of Yeshua and the life of Joseph. Hmm. And I'm like, I'm like, whoa. Of course, by the end of the, the session, everybody else was giving their input. There was 30 something uh, parallels. And, and I was hooked after that. And, you know, then we, because when you, you have to understand that in the New Testament, the good Bereans, right? They were searching the scriptures daily to see whether these things be true. Right. They weren't reading the New Testament. Right. <laughs> it, it hadn't even been written yet. Yeah. So what were they reading? They were reading the Torah and the prophets. Right. And, and, and so for me, somebody who grew up in a New Testament Bible-believing church environment, you know, uh, you know, the Old Testament was good for a few Sunday school stories, and you know, but that's about it. We didn't spend yeah. much time in the, in the Old Testament. Right. Uh, finding Yeshua in the Torah was absolutely amazing. Uh, and you know, the preface of a book tells you how to read the rest of the book. Right. And so the first five books of Moses is the preface for the 66 books. Yeah. And when, and, and Paul, who was somebody that I never really got, like I get Peter, but I didn't really get Paul. You know, he was, (laughs) he was just, it's like Batman and Superman. You know, I get Batman. He's a rich guy trained in martial arts. He can get hurt. You know, I get, I I get him, but Superman, you just can't relate to the guy, you know? Yeah. Uh, and that was the way I felt about Paul. He was just like this super guy. I couldn't relate to him until I started to see what he saw. Here's this guy who was a learned Pharisee, you know, a Pharisee of Pharisees, studied under Gamaliel of the tribe of Benjamin. This guy knew his Torah inside and out, probably had it memorized. Right. And when you look at his writings in the epistles, it's him getting it. And and we get the benefit of seeing him get it so that we get it. Right. You know, he's yeah. going, Oh, this is the great mystery. I get it. You know? <laughs> and, and, and he's relaying 
what the law and the prophets had to say about the coming Messiah and revealing who Yeshua is from the what we now call the Old Testament. Yeah. And, right. and we miss all that with, with Christmas and Easter and, you know, you're totally missing the boat, guys. If, <laughs> uh, and, and like you, as soon as I understood that, I couldn't go back. There's no way. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't even go back to the to the to the normal Western church model either. Uh, my wife settled into a house church where it's about 20 of us that, you know, just get together in a, in a house church. But I'll tell you what, we start at about three in the afternoon and we go to midnight one in the morning. Wow. <laughs> there just, you go. Just because we're jacked out of our minds and we're so excited about the scriptures, we can't get enough of it. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. I go, I go to a regular church now and I'm looking at my watch going, okay, when's this guy going to stop talking about character? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, something we we should all have by now, you know. Yeah, well, no, that's that's really fascinating. Yeah, it's definitely um, just you know in in the the few days that we, uh, I got to spend hanging out with you guys in Branson, uh, that just your the stuff the insight you gave me, Rob, has definitely changed the trajectory of of a lot of this stuff. The stuff that you mentioned just now, and um, you you have a, a show on Blog Talk Radio if people want to check that out. Yeah. Uh, I think it's called Revolution. Uh, what was it Revolution Radio? It's rev- it's blogtalkradio.com forward slash revolutionary radio. Revolutionary radio. Yeah. And yeah. you got three interviews with um, Pappy, the guy who, his name is uh, Dr. Russ Hawk, H O U C K, and yeah. uh, just got his book today. And I'm really looking forward to digging into that stuff. And, you know, he he was saying how, uh, you know, Paul would be rolling in his grave if if he found out what some of the new, the uh, oh, churches were, t- were teaching on his his writings. So, um, yeah, that's a book. Uh, let me just warn you. <laughs> now you, you're probably more prepared for it than than most Christians are, uh, just from the journey you've already been on. Yeah, but uh, like that book really messed me up because it, it's a paradigm shifting book. Yeah. Um, uh, and basically, it's called Epidemic, the in- examining the infected roots of Judaism and Christianity. And he shows how basically Christianity is following the exact same path that the Jews followed that led them into Pharisees and Sadducees and all the people Jesus was fighting with the whole time he was doing his ministry. Right. How they had, took, they had taken the things that God said and spun it off into so many things that God didn't say that made it so burdensome to even follow God. Um, right. and, and Christianity has followed a similar path, although they didn't make it burdensome. They made it too easy right. uh, to get into apostasy, quite frankly. Uh, yeah. where, where so many of the things that we do in the Western church is straight out of Babylon. Right. And when you read Pappy's book, there's going to be things, especially if you're not prepared for it. Uh, <laughs> like, it ticked me off on a number of occasions. I, I'm like, this guy's full of crap. You know, <laughs> I tossed the book, and but I, I'm... I'm programmed to be like a Berean. Second Timothy two fifteen is my life verse. Study to show yourself approved. And so when I see something or hear something or you know, I'm compelled to go look it up for myself. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to finding out um uh more about um the I think one of the things you mentioned was that the New Testament was originally written in Hebrew. Yeah, and I've never even heard that before. So I'm looking forward to finding out more about that because yeah, that's just that, kind of uh that's an interesting uh, trip uh, to to go on. Um, I, I have a um, Aramaic New Testament uh, that that's really cool. It's loaded with footnotes and stuff. is written by uh, a Messianic Jew, a guy who who was was basically asked, who was challenged um, 
<laughs> he tells a funny story. He was challenged by um, Campus Crusade for Christ okay. at, to, to help them uh, um, translate Hebrew uh, from some of the Hebrew texts. And he was really kind of repulsed by their whole ministry. And he said to them, he said, you know, if you guys actually want to reach Jews, you might want to not use the word crusade <laughs> in, in, in your name. <laughs> yeah. oh, no, it, it gets, it really gets me how uh, that word is used still so often <laughs> in the church. About that. That's and, really you know, funny. The missionary well, field it. and things like that. Yeah, think about it from a Jew's perspective. Though, you know what I mean? Uh, he's like, seriously? Uh, but uh, it, his name is Andrew Gabriel Roth, R-O-T-H. And you can look up his Aramaic New Testament that he did. And uh, it's really, really interesting because it, as opposed to the Greek, you know, he he, he takes, he draws from the Aramaic uh, and uh, in Hebrew texts hmm. of, the, of the New Testament and uh, inserts uh, all of his knowledge of, of being a Hebrew and all the idioms and stuff that go with it. You know, like we have our own idioms right. and I'll give, I'll give an example. I'm, I'm in Northeast India when I was a missionary. Um, and th- that's a little piece of India squashed between China and Myanmar. And, uh, you know, we're, we try to give this, uh, national, uh, directions to go someplace. And we say, okay, you know, when you get down the, the to the fork in a road, take a left. And, um, the guy doesn't show up, you know, we're like, <laughs> What happens? So we go looking for the guy, and he's over there looking around for a fork in the road, like a, a utensil. You know, he, he's looking for you know what you eat with. Right. Uh, we just threw out this idiom because everybody in America, oh yeah, when the road splits, you know, we call it a fork in the road. Right. But they, he didn't have that frame of mind because that's not an idiom that he's used to. And so when you understand that the Bible is actually loaded with Hebrew idioms that we, in our Western mindset or even in the Greek mindset, totally miss. Right. And when you miss the idiom, you actually miss the point of some, some of the, you know, like the day, no man knows the day or the hour. Right. You know, probably, probably heard that one. Yeah. yeah. That's actually an idiom that relates to a specific time that everybody knows. <laughs> right. It is called the day that no man knows the day or the hour because it's a two-day event that requires two witnesses to go out to the Temple Mount and look out a specific area on the horizon to see the new sl- the sliver of the new moon to see how if it is at the specific uh, angle on the horizon. And that's when the, the Feast of Trumpets begins. Right. It, it, so wow, it fascinating. Is a, it is an idiom related to the Feast of God that is actually telling you when Yeshua is coming back. He's coming back on the day no man knows the day or the hour, which is a two-day event. Yeah. You know, so you don't, you don't know which day of those two days, but you can know that he's coming back on one of those two days, which will be the Feast of Trumpets. Wow. So that's why they're called Mikras. They, that's why they are the, the Hebrew word used uh, with regard to the feast. It has to do with uh, assemblies, holy convocations, or we might consider rehearsals mm. or what they call appointed times. Right. So in other words, God says, I'm going to do everything on my appointed times. Moses, here's the script. And my, my, the main actor, the main character in the story is my son, Yeshua, and he will follow his lines perfectly, hit his mark every time. <laughs> and when you realize that he died on Passover, not Easter, right. uh, or good, not Good Friday. I mean, how do you get three days dead in the tomb from Friday to Sunday? I'll never I know. know. I we, always we, we played <laughs> the game for how long? You know. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but he died on Passover, which would have been a Wednesday, which was a, uh, and so uh, and you got Wednesday, and you got three days dead, and he was he's raised by Saturday. Okay, mm. so 
he's he's died on Passover. He was buried on unleavened bread. He rose on first fruits, and the Holy Spirit came down on Pentecost. Every one of those on the dot. Right. So if he's followed, if there's seven feasts and he's hit the first four on the dot, it just stands to reason that what's left to be fulfilled will happen exactly on the dot on the script. Mm. And it's not December 25th. Right. So, so I believe Jesus, Yeshua, is coming back on his birthday, which is Yom Teruah, the Feast of Trumpets, which was September 11th, 3 B.C., Cool. So if you're if you're celebrating his birthday on Mithra's day, um, <laughs> y- you're gonna miss the party. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, you know, yeah, totally. And and last thing here because we're going way long and it's awesome. I love it. Uh, hey, I, gonna, I'm good as for long as you're good. So we're, don't worry. We're uh, we're gonna have to do another show with you, man, because this is uh this is just awesome stuff. We can just go on forever. But uh, um, just to wrap it up, um. I wanted to uh, ask you just what your predictions are, what we're, you know, what you think we'll see in the near future, and some of the stuff you've um, looked at using Stellarium, that that program, and uh, some of the the blood red moons and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie, I downloaded and installed it during this. Yeah, while we're talking, <laughs> it's awesome, man. I, I I had it, I downloaded it, um, you know, while in Branson, and and it was it was a lot of fun. It's cool. Yeah, you. It's an addictive program. Yeah, you, you will be addicted. Uh, okay, so uh, what do I think is happening in the future? Well, uh, the, the Moed or the Moedim, that, that's one of the Hebrew words for the, the feasts. It, that means appointed time, place, or meeting. Mikra means assembly, convocation, rehearsal. So w- what the feasts are are appointed times that we are supposed to be rehearsing every year. And this is not legalism, guys. Right. This, is, this is, you know, I have people arguing with me, oh, you're not going to get me under the law. I'm like, uh, do you find it legalistic to celebrate Christmas and Easter? <laughs> no. Then why would you think it to be legalistic to have a party when God tells you to have a party? Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is, I mean, especially the fall feast, man, those are this is where God actually gives you a command to have fun Yeah. with your, with your friends and family. Even drink strong drink. I mean, <laughs> I mean seriously, God's <laughs> like, Feast of Tabernacles, get your family and friends together and camp out for a, a week. Um, that's like a command of God is go camping with your friends and family and have fun. Uh, a tabernacle because it represents the tabernacling with God in the wilderness. Right, right. Uh, so, you know, if people want to fight about exchanging Christmas and Easter. You're losing two and you're gaining seven, eight if you consider the Sabbath. Right. <laughs> so you, you're actually getting a really good deal. Sounds like a good deal to me. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's an awesome deal, especially when you understand the significance of it and how God has done everything throughout history on these days, which right. leads to to your question, uh, uh, Ghani, when what's left to, to happen. Um, when you read the prophecy like in Joel or, and some of the other prophecies about the last days and the day of the Lord, it talks about the the the, the, the sun is darkened and the moon turns to blood and yep. things like that. Well, we've got what's called a tetrad, actually two of them coming up uh, in 2014 and 15. And they just so happen to land on feast days. Mm. So it, it, it really gives you pause to think, oh, okay, there's something going on here. It, it's, it's very significant that you have these blood moon tetrads happening, at, I think in 2014, during the Passover season, uh, which would be the spring feast, and then in 2015, during the fall feast season. And and I believe it's the book of Joel that says that these things will, will precede, they'll come before the day of the Lord. So right. if the day of the Lord is known to happen or start on, on Yom Teruah, Feast of Trumpets, then that puts it out to 2016. 
because the, the 15 is the tetrad that happens during the fall feast. Right. So if those precede the day of the Lord, then, and, and this is just speculation, and I, I, I'm new to all this myself. I'm just going to point out something that I found fascinating and that I'm going to certainly be paying attention to in the coming years, um, is that the Feast of Trumpets, uh, Yom Teruah, begins in 2016 on September 1st. Hmm. And you need to look this up. Go to 119ministries.com. Yeah, been there a lot since uh, yeah, your wife yeah. told me about it. <laughs> yeah, he's got a, if you go to 119ministries.com and click on their teaching session uh, section, you can see video uh, teachings that they have. Go to the End Times one and watch all five of them. They got five videos there. They're outstanding, and, and he really explains this stuff. Uh, but what really jumped out at me was he was saying, okay, if that's the coming of Christ, September 1st, uh, or during the, which would be a two day event. So it could be the day before, or day after, the, the day no man knows the day or the hour, <laughs> uh, Yom Teruah, uh, then back off 1260 days from there, hmm. you end up very curiously on 322, March 22nd of next year, mm. 2013. And that jumped out at me because in my book, I, I, run down a, a, a whole list of things that have to do with the number 322. And right. I start off with showing that the Skull and Bones Society have their logo, the skull on top of the crossbones, and right below it, it has the number 322. And everybody's wondering, what is the 322? So I, I do some speculating and trying to connect dots and put some pieces together to, to, to say what I think is going on with 322. But I didn't have this piece. I just got this one just recently watching the 119 Ministries video. So you back off 1260 days from Yom Teruah of 2016 and you land on March 22nd of next year, 322. <clears throat> Jesus says in Matthew 24 that when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, that you're, and those who be in Judea should flee to the mountains. Right. And if you keep reading, he says something really interesting. He says, pray that your flight is not in winter or on the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. What's interesting about 322 of next year, March 22nd, is it's the day after winter ends and the day before a Saturday, a Sabbath. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So, I mean, what do you do oh with that? Yeah. What do you do with that? Uh, you know, hey, I'm not, I'm not setting dates, but I'm pointing out some significant and interesting dates. Yeah, that are in our near future. Uh, and what's even more interesting is if you look in Daniel, I've always been perplexed. I, I understood the 1260 days, but Daniel talks about two other numbers. He talks about 1290 days and he says, blessed are those who make it through to the 1335 days. And I was like, what is that? Now, this guy really knocked a home run as far as I'm concerned, because at the time of Daniel, there are two holidays that the, the Israelites celebrate that uh, were were not in existence when he was writing his prophecy, and and God, Jesus, I believe it's Yeshua and Daniel ten through twelve that basically says, okay, seal up the book, you know, don't worry about it, I got you covered, you know, it'll be unsealed at the end, and I believe that the book that Daniel sees, seals up is the one the Lamb opens up in Revelation. It's the same the same right. scroll. Mm. Um, so you got twelve hundred sixty days between three two two and September first two thousand sixteen. He says, if you back off 30 days, that puts you in Purim. And the feast that during the celebration of Purim, which is right. which is all about, you know, Esther, prepare for such a time as this. It's basically 
uh, a foreshadowing of Antichrist type scenario in the people of God, you know, in the story of Esther, which uh-huh. takes place 30 days prior to 322. So that 30 days plus 1260 gives you the 1290. You follow? Mm, yeah. So, and then when you go from the Feast of Trumpets and uh, September 1st, 2016, and you go forward, I, I, you can check my math on this, I think it's 75 days. Uh, that, that gives you the total of 1335. You end up in Hanukkah, mm. which was which is the rededication of the temple. Uh, wow. So, and all of that only fits in the time frame of what I just talked about from from Purim of next year, uh, 30 days before 322, leading up to 1260 days later, being uh, Feast of Trumpets, and then another 75, I think, days later, Hanukkah. And what's interesting about the first uh, Hanukkah is if you want to celebrate something on December 25th, celebrate Hanukkah. Because right. what happened on December 25th is Antiochus Epiphanes, we talked about earlier, set up the, the statue of Zeus and offered a pig right. to, the, to the false god in the temple on December 25th. And exactly three years later, the Maccabean revolt took place and the Maccabees took back the temple, kicked the Romans out, got rid of Zeus and rededicated the temple to the one true God. So if you wanted to celebrate December 25th, do that. Right. Yeah, seriously. Get rid of of the pagan gods who were born on December 25th and celebrate the rededication of your life to get back on, on God's calendar. Um, Right. And so, look, I, I don't know but if, uh, about anybody else. All I know is, is for me and my house, I plan on serving Yehovah and Yeshua and following his calendar. Because if he's following a script, I want to I I be at the appointed place at the appointed time when the curtain call goes up. Right. And, and all that means is following the scriptures. Do, it, do Bible things in Bible ways and you, you'll be all right. You know? Right. Exactly. Well... Rob, this has been just an amazing conversation yeah. that we've had. And uh, I really appreciate you coming on the show, as I know Gons does as well. Um, man. Whew. Good stuff. <laughs> Good stuff, man. Amazing. <laughs> Definitely um, would love to have you on the show again. Love to uh, do it. Really enjoyable. Uh, everybody, make sure to check out Rob Skiba. Um websites what are your websites uh they can go to babylonrisingbooks.com that's where they can check out all the products and the new book that we've been talking about babylon rising right. uh, Bab- that's babylonrisingbooks.com uh, they can read a lot of it for free on babylonrisingblog.com uh the books that i'm writing are coming out of the blogs i'm adding more to it so there's there's actually a fair amount more in the book that's on the blog but right. they they can check that out babylonrisingblog.com and the TV series that we're working on, if they want to check that out, is, is seedtheseries.com. Wonderful. Awesome. Definitely check it out. Rob Skiba, thank you so much once again for coming on the show. Canary Cry Radio. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. All right. And we'll see you again next time. All right.